Welcome, everyone, to episode 30 of the Global Gamers Podcast. I feel like a number with a big three in front of it is appropriate, uh, given the game we're going to be talking about today. The third yeah. game in a trilogy. I know. I don't think we even planned that explicitly, but it worked no, out we pretty well. You know, the stars align. They um, certainly did. How How do you feel about hitting that 30 milestone? I feel like we talked about this a little bit when we did 25 for the quarter century, but I don't know. I feel like just having a number at the front that's different. Yeah. Uh, I, it just, I, it feels more exciting. It does. Every time we hit that <clears throat> additional 10 mark, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, feeling the feels a little bit. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. It's like, no matter what we have, like we have an archive. We do. Yeah. We I'm certainly just, do. I mean, it's amazing that it's been probably what seven months now and it really doesn't feel like it like i still remember um the first time that we were like testing out mics and recording the trailer a bunch of different times and yeah. trying to decide what the first episode should be and why yeah um but it's very exciting that we've made it to this point and to celebrate that we are also going to round out our coverage of the west kingdom trilogy of games by discussing viscounts of the west kingdom a game that taught me how to pronounce a word that i had only seen in print before this you're not the only person who has fallen into that i've definitely heard um either other people who cover games say they've had this they said they had the same experience you did yeah or they're still pronouncing it wrong i'm like come on if you're reviewing it or discussing it on the internet you probably should learn how to say the word right or or you should just stick with blog entries and then you don't have to learn how to say anything yeah or let one of those fake ai voices read it for you oh my gosh um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway so um yeah, we're going to cover Viscounts. Um, if you've been listening for a while, you will know that we've already reviewed Architects and Paladins of the West Kingdom. And even beyond that, we are big fans of the designers and publishers of this game. That would be Shem Phillips and S.J. McDonald of Garfield Games fame. And we have covered um, some of their other games that we love, including Raiders of the North Sea and Wayfarers of the South Tigris. So... In yeah, the lead up to this fall's release of Scholars of the South Tigris, we wanted to round out our coverage of the West Kingdom trilogy and in the near future do a special episode where we will discuss all three games um, as a package and talk about what we like best, maybe which game we like best, what game, which of those games is most successful at different things. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of like... Uh... I'm not a huge art person, um, but tr I, you know that word for those like three panel paintings? It's like try something. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about, but I also don't know the word. I have a couple uh, and I, words and I, that I, might be on the tip of my tongue, but I don't want to say it because I don't want to sound like a hypocrite for talking about things I don't know about on the internet. <laughs> Well, right. And not only that, but I haven't been introduced to a game that actually tells me how to say this word. So I don't know it either. But long yeah, story modern, short, modern art should have done it. But oh well. yeah, it should have. But the reason I bring that up is I feel like this that future episode where we compare the three games is going to be kind of like the board game version of one of those paintings where it's like, 
You've got the three side by side and they all bring out different elements of a similar theme. It's going to be fun. Yes. Um, but don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because right now we're here for Viscounts. Yes. And I was just going to say, I feel like we're going to do our best to really stick to Viscounts as we did for the other two games. Inevitably, yeah. I know that there are going to be certain things that come up where we make a comparison um, or draw parallels for, you know, emphasis or to mm-hmm. help explain what we're trying to say. But we're really going to try to keep focus on this one game because uh, it deserves it. And also because this game has so much going on already that um, it's more yeah. than enough ground to cover. So, yeah, let's just get right into it. Yeah, let's do it. Do you want to do you want to tackle theme? Of course. I love talking about um medieval things <laughs> so viscounts of the west kingdom as i already mentioned is the third game in the west kingdom trilogy by shem phillips and sj mcdonald um it was released in 2020 that's wild that it's only three years old yeah um and that they i mean i guess they always do it like one every year so i think architects was 18 paladins was 19 then Viscounts, and then I guess they took a year off, and then um, Wayfarers in 2022. I think mm-hmm. 2021, they spent a lot of time just rounding out the West Kingdom trilogy with the ex- um, different expansions, mm-hmm. collector's boxes, promo cards, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, so once again, we have great um, artwork by the Miko. Yeah. This game has a 3.46 complexity rating out of 5 on board game geek a 60 mm-hmm. to 90 minute playing time plays one to four players and it is currently ranked at number 155 all time and number 105 in the strategy category yeah um in terms of the theme if you're following the west kingdom trilogy um basically you begin with architects where you are helping build the kingdom um, and then in Paladins, you're defending the kingdom against outside invaders. And then in Viscounts, you're basically at the point where the kingdom is beginning to decline. The king is getting old. And the Viscounts, who are these high-ranking uh, members of the nobility, are kind of vying for influence to determine who will be the ones to exert the most political influence over the realm when the king yeah. um, dies. And shape so, the kingdom's legacy, so to speak. Yes. I mean, so like a lot of these games, the theme is not super heavily involved in the play. Yeah. I would say that... Uh, I'm going to resist like saying which one of the three I think is the most thematic, but I think that where Viscounts shows the theme most clearly is in the way the castle works. If you think about it as, you know exerting having your people influencing at court and then also just the way that you go around the board and kind of recruit um citizens of the kingdom into your faction yeah um, and have them you know use their talents and their abilities and their resources for your benefit right um other than that this does kind of fall into the somewhat dry euro game category um which, yeah, you know, it, it's a very familiar um, subset of games to people in this hobby and definitely people who like this series of games. Yeah. 
definitely. Any additional thoughts on the theme? Mm, no, I don't think so. I think you covered you covered pretty much everything. I yeah, was there's not on. that much to say. Yeah, uh, I I mean the, I guess okay. One thing I will say is I I don't know what it is about the theme, but I really like this whole like kind of like decline motif. I, I think that's yes. an interesting one. And the power of vacuum. Yeah, well, and especially just with the with the manuscript writing, I feel like it kind of plays into that trying to preserve what's what's come before a little bit. I like yes, that and that I mean this is kind of bleeding into our um, talking about the different mechanics a little bit, but I think yeah. it is really cool how each of the four main actions or mechanics in this game are something that you would absolutely see being a very big part of life and um, influence in a fully developed kingdom. So you have religion with the manuscripts, you have politics with the castle, you have um, economics and like mercantilism with trade. And then you have like the physical structure building defenses, maybe the military of the kingdom itself with the buildings. Yeah, or the, the infrastructure cool. or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. Cool. So we're going to try our best to distill the rules discussion because this is a very... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of it's moving a complex, pieces here. Yeah, a complex game with a lot of little bit of moving pieces. So we're going to kind of take a big, uh, big picture view rather than getting into the nitty gritty because nothing will prepare you to play this game better than actually reading the rule book or watching a rule specific overview for yourself yeah. yeah, and just, just going for it and trying and like getting used to it over time. For sure. And I mean, especially with a game this complex, just easier to do when you can visualize it in front of you. Yes. Um, but we'll give you a brief overview just to, as kind of like context building for this discussion. So just to kind of set the context of this game, you are, as Ed said, this is a, you know, a Euro game resource management going on. There's also engine building components, but in terms of the board, the way it's set up is it's a rondel game. It's a variation on a roll and move. And you have a single horse figurine that's moved. Oh, a Viscount. Yes. Uh, the namesake of the game and you are moving it in a circle around the central keep on the board. And the way you're deciding how you move is not by rolling a dice, but you have a personal deck of cards and each of these cards comes with different powers. But one of the functions of these cards is telling you how many spaces you can move on a given turn. And as you're moving around the board, there are two kind of main tracks, an outer track and an inner track. And on the outer track, your main two purposes are gathering resources to be able to do other actions throughout the game. And then also to build buildings, which give you both a small one-time bonus in resources, but more importantly, they build up your engine and give you greater capabilities over the rest of the game. And points. And points as well. On the inner track, 
the inner track is even more focused on building up points. And it gives you a couple different ways, either by placing workers in the keep or by uh, transcribing manuscripts in order to, uh, you know, boost your end game scoring. There's also some engine building components there, but I would say the inner track is more heavily focused on end game scoring than the outer track. Yeah, definitely. Especially because of the trade um, mechanic. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, in terms of what a turn looks like, so there are there's no set number of turns in this game or set number of rounds. Right. It's a very fluid thing. And the game pace is set around um, these two decks, debts and deeds. So one thing that connects all three of the West Kingdom games is this concept of um virtue and corruption yep so there's a tracker in architects they're the um the card i forget what they're called in in paladins with those little purple cards um and then in viscounts you have the deeds and the debts and generally the deeds tend to come your way when you do something good and generally the debts tend to come your way when you do something bad and they both will allow you to either get more resources during the game or additional end game scoring. And basically there's a whole bunch of different things that you can do that will allow you to draw from those decks. And then when one of those decks runs out, that triggers the end game and you'll all take one more turn just as you did in architects and raiders, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that I think is worth noting there is you've got these two competing deck decks, the debt and the deeds and whichever one depletes first is going to be the one that is more impactful on end game scoring. So yeah. you could have different players with the game trying to steer it towards one or two of those p- potential outcomes, depending on their own preference and how they've played the game. Yes, which is super interesting um, and creates kind of like a risk and makes right. you watch what other people are doing a little bit, which is nice for player interaction. Yeah. Um, but while all that's happening, you just go through doing a bunch of different turns. And each of those turns, what's really nice is each person has a player mat, and the player mat will kind of walk you through the sequence of all the different things you do in a turn. So yep. first, you will discard the member of your um, crew, so to speak, kind of how you have a crew in Raiders. It's the same thing in this game where you have a crew of three and they kind of cycle through, and once a card gets all the way to the right side of your board, it drops off and creates space for a new one to come in on the left side. So mm-hmm. you'll drop off the old one. If it had any drop-off ability or benefit, you'll get that. Then you'll play a new one. The new one will, you know, it might have a when-played ability. It will give you the information you need on how much you get to move that turn, as Ryan mentioned. And then you will use your Viscount to move, And then um, there are multiple decks of character townsfolk cards um, in each section. There's a deck in each section of the board. Mm -hmm. And you then, depending on which section you move to that turn, you have the option to pay to activate a one-time ability on that card if you want to. Most of the time, you probably won't. And then you choose one of the four main actions to do that turn. You can um, trade, build, um, place workers in the castle, or um, transcribe a manuscript. And then you can choose to hire a new townsfolk from that same deck of townsfolk cards that I mentioned already. 
-hmm. And then you'll do something called a um, collision check, which we can talk about. And then once that's done, if there was a collision, you resolve it. If there is no collision, you just skip this step. And then you just draw back up to your hand limit. And then it's the next person's turn. So I guess just before we move on from it, um, the collision is the other part of this game that is related to um, virtue and corruption. And basically, you just have these two tokens, a corruption token and a virtue token on your board. And depending on the actions you take, you know, whether you're um, townsfolk or criminals, whether you take certain actions or have certain card abilities, those things may move and they move inward toward each other. And once they overlap, um, you will have to resolve your collision at that point of your turn. You will get the benefits or penalties associated with the spot at which the collision took place. It'll just be printed on your board. Usually it's getting money and you'll get some amount of deed or debt cards and then you'll just reset it. And other players will get a penalty um, if they were too corrupt at the time that you triggered a collision. That's basically it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that really covers most of what you do in this game. It is a lot, and there's a lot of nuance to all of these things um, about the timing of when you want to do certain things, all the different abilities, all the different types of abilities, um, how resources can be translated into permanent symbols. There's a lot of things. But yeah. again, I think... This is one of those where I think the best thing we can do in this format is just talk about how this game um, makes us feel, the things that we like or don't like about it. Yeah. And based on what you know about our thoughts on this game and other games like it, your thoughts on these types of games, and just how curious you are, you'll know if this is something that you want to skip completely, you want to try, or you want to buy and cherish until uh, you decline like the old king. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah well and like you said like we're not trying to give an exhaustive account of this or like teach you all the ins and outs of the rules right now all we're trying mm-hmm. to do is level set with some basics on the way the game is structured and then talk about some of the elements of the game that we found really appealing or intriguing and then yeah just kind of yeah just and i'll Lay, get the I'll lay be honest, of the land. Yeah. I think that we played this game what maybe four or five times at this point. And I would yeah. not be surprised if there's still one or two rules that we're still sure. trying to like iron out. Or sure. you know, there's some like great strategies that just haven't come our way yet because this is just such a rich experience that part of the fun is just trying it again and again. It really feels like a puzzle. Yeah, no um, doubt. Yeah. The- the only other thing I wanted to touch on in this broad overview is just end game scoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once we've covered that, I think we can get into uh, gameplay a little bit more, some, some tips and some of our yeah. favorite things of the game. Um, but in terms of end game scoring, as Ed said, the end game is triggered when either all of the, all of the deed cards or, or all of the debt cards from that pile at the start of the game are exhausted. And at that point, everyone gets one more turn and then final scores are tallied. And so here, 
I mean, it's it, it's a point salad type of situation here, but just want to give a sense of the types of things you're getting points for. Uh, you're getting points for your constructed buildings, uh, and you'll have three of each type of buildings, and the the number of points you get differs depending on how many of each of them you you end up building over the course of the game. You also get points for having workers in the castle in the middle of the uh, rondelle board. And depending on how close they are to the inner sanctum of the castle, you get more points for them as they work their way in. You also get points for transcribing manuscript sets and for your castle leader and cleric bonus cards. The For the castle leader, that's the player that has the highest number of workers in the castle at the end of the game. You no, also... it's it's the first it's the first person to get to the middle. Oh, it's the first person yeah. to get to the middle there. Mm-hmm. there and then if someone else right. like ends up having more in the middle at any point, then they take Ah, uh, that's what yeah. it was. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for correcting me on that. And then um you also look at your deed and your debt cards. So if you have any unpaid debt, you get negative victory points. If you have deed cards, they start out as one, but if you're able to flip them, you get three points for each one. And I believe there's there's also like some bonuses, like for instance, whoever has more of those deed cards at the end of those game gets mm-hmm. a few extra points. But that's most of the scoring, at least for the base game. Yeah, there are a couple other things in the expansions, but we can um, touch on that later on. And it's not much. Right. Yeah, but I think the big picture is this is, as you said, a point salad. And if you've played any of these Garfield games, it's very similar in the way it scores. There's just a bunch of different categories. um, And this might be my first um, foray into strategy talk. But as with pretty much all of these games, it's one of those where you cannot do everything. (laughs) You just kind of have to pick and choose what is easiest and most convenient for you to do with the uh, things at your disposal. Well, and yeah, yeah, for sure. So on that note, shall we uh, get into some little tricks of the trade for first time players or just Uh, observations for, for folks that are just getting getting on their feet with this one yes sounds good do you want to start us off or do you want me to um i think i might have more than one so i might be okay uh alternating if you have a few sure yeah i've got Um, i've got at least one yeah so as i already said i mean just don't try to do everything because you're just gonna be overwhelmed um i would say as with any other deck building game, um, and this is a deck building game with the way the townsfolk shuffle into your starting deck. Um, and we talked about this a bit in our discussion question, um, a discussion episode about deck building and engine building. It's yeah. that don't try to overdo it with hiring new townsfolk. Mm. Really take the ones that you need to achieve the strategy that you're going for. And the example I'd give of that is there was one game that we played where I kept my deck really tight and there was like a two card combo that I had 
that were both centered around building. And if I had them on my board at the same time, it was just brutal. I was just, I was gathering enough stone to just build all three guild halls in a row, which is not cheap. Those are the most expensive ones and most point valuable ones with the best upgrades. And once you upgrade those, like your engine is just off to the races. Yeah. Um, but there were times, even including, including the most recent time we played this game, that I just kept buying cards because they all looked really appealing or really cool, or even, you know, I didn't In want to get it. In isolation, right. Yeah, but then it just meant that I wasn't cycling through my deck as quickly and that there wasn't as much synergy between the cards that I had or that I yeah. ended up having too much of one thing um, that I didn't really need. So specifically, I had just like a ton of merchant trading potential and that was okay early game but it kind of kept me you know harvesting resources that i really didn't need and i didn't have enough time to pay it off yeah so just you were spending a lot of time on the outer track where you're doing trading exactly exactly and it's point intensive yeah yeah and especially in a game where um anybody can set the pace and trigger the end game i kind of lost control of it and you had every incentive to just be like, okay, well, you seem to be playing in a way that will, you know, the longer this game goes on, the better for you. Well, guess what? I'm just going to end it soon. Great. Yeah. So it doesn't work. Yeah. That's my, that's my big one. Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, my first one is related to yours. And that is, you know, Ed mentioned that you want to be choosy about which townsfolk you're adding to your deck. The, addendum i would add to that point is you are not choosing what to add to your deck in a vacuum one of the main things you want to pay attention to is which of the three hero cards you start you select at the beginning to start your deck because all, all of them have different abilities and all of them have different strengths and weaknesses and i think you're setting yourself up for the greatest chance of success if you're able to curate townspeople cards that accentuates the strengths that you're already building towards with the deck with the hero you choose to start with agreed um yeah i think just to touch on that like that hero and starting card drafting is the way that this game handles asymmetry and i think um of these games I think that, again, this is breaking the rule and doing comparisons now, but I think this one handles asymmetry in the most interesting way, in my opinion. It, it's um, pretty seamless. Yeah. Yeah. I think Architects is comparable with the leaders at the beginning, but um, this one gives you the most opportunity to really build and double down on the asymmetry that you um, have at the beginning, which is really cool. Well, not only that, but I think it, um, I mean, it forces you to use that asymmetry in the moment because rather than having a player mat where those abilities are always active, you're only, you only have the hero abilities active while that card is in play on your crew, which is going to be usually at most three turns before it cycles off. Agreed. Um, my second tip is it's, it's also kind of about 
pacing and managing things. And that would be paying attention to how you spend your time on the different um, tracks of the board. Uh-huh. So gen, this is a general rule, definitely very general. Um, but for the most part, I think what you want to be doing is spending a greater portion of the first half of the game on the outside of the board. That's with the building and the trading action, particularly the trade action. And then you spend more time later on, on the inside part of the board. Now, the reason I say that is because I think the longer the game goes on, you want to be trading for resources less because you want to have built your engine in such a way that you don't need actual resources as much because you just have permanent resource icons that you can use in the same exact way so instead of getting an ink pot which is one of the resources you just have a permanent um uh, manuscript symbol which functions the exact same way right or instead of getting a physical stone you just have a permanent hammer that does the same thing and you can do that through upgrading your player board or from the townsfolk cards that you um add to your deck The other thing I would say, and this is more like an exception, is the only exception, I think, really, to the inside-outside that I'm thinking of is there are certain situations, I think, where especially depending on what your starting resources and your starting hero give you, that it might be beneficial to get some manuscripts from the inside track early on. The reason I say that is because some of the manuscripts will give you one-time benefits like resources. So it kind of pays for itself and you can be the first person to benefit from the um, set collection bonuses of getting um, multiple manuscripts of the same color, which will much like building buildings, help you with your engine building and give you permanent um, resource icons. Yeah, but I, I think, think that, in particular yeah, the point. the castle. I haven't tried going heavy on the castle very early on. I'm sure there's a way to do it, and there are like one time resource benefits in the castle. But I think it's probably the hardest one to do in the early game. And I would, especially if it's your first time playing, it, I would caution against trying it. That might be a strategy for more advanced players. It's harder to who, it's yeah. harder to do. It's harder to balance that with building your engine just because it's so cost intensive to place workers yeah and i don't think that the starting deck that you get and everybody has the same start yeah i don't think it wants you to i think it just it gives you like maybe one or two of those castle noble symbols right um of course like i'm sure there are exceptions where a leader or starting resources will give you a ton of gold that you can use in the castle but that's very situation dependent yeah one one last tip that comes to mind for me is making sure that you've set yourself up to succeed before you play your best cards. So I think there's a temptation sometimes in a game like this to look at the cards in your hand and be like, this is my best card, I'm going to play it. Especially if that card has a fall-off bonus when it falls off three turns later. That's really good. But I think what you can, some a a pitfall you can fall into if you do that, think about it that way, 
is you might not have the resources on hand to make full use of that card's ability for the full three turns that it's on there, unless you've planned ahead. And so sometimes you might want to hold one of those cards in your hand and wait a turn or two while you gather those last remaining resources you need so that by the time you actually play that card, you're able to make use of it at least two times on the out of those three turns that it's in play before it falls off. Yeah. I think really what like the trend that I'm sensing with all of the different things we're saying is that this is very much a game about paying attention to timing and pacing. Yes. Um, it's, it's like creating this giant um, like old fashioned analog clock and all the different gears have to be <laughs> just like aligned perfectly for it to just work. So just so yeah yes yeah um, yes yeah, pretty artful yeah um it also works with it being a big round board. i know it is it like does, it's kind right? of, it is kind of like a clock um any other tips no i think that covers it for me how about you yeah i mean i think it's just a we're, we're kind of just again just talking about multiple ways of looking at the same big picture yeah. of how the met like the mental state you want to be in when you're playing this game yes yeah um cool so i'm very curious about what you have to say for this next segment because this is our best of and worst of so yeah what are some of the things that you think are the best about this game so i'll start with something small just because it intrigued me and Mm -hmm. i can't remember seeing another game do this so At the beginning of the game, when you're choosing your hero card, the card that's going to, your specialist that's going to determine what you're focusing on over the course of the game, you're not selecting that card in a vacuum. Each of the hero cards is, is paired with the equivalent of a starting hand card, which tells you which resources you're going to start with at the beginning of the game. And that differs for everybody. Now, it's not like a make it or break it thing and probably a really good starting hero card could very well be worth taking even if it's paired with kind of a suboptimal set of resources. But I thought it was really intriguing pairing that choice of your starting card with the resources you're going to have on hand and doing those as two separate cards so that you can mix and match those and it's never quite the same decision. I really like Yeah, it really that. it really compounds the amount of different um asymmetrical setups yeah. you can have. Yeah. I um, thought that was a really fun. Am I am I right to say that I think that generally our experience has been that we tend to have a stronger reaction to the starting card than to, to than to the actual leader itself? Huh. Like you I remember the definitely, starting resource cards? Yeah, I've definitely maybe, especially in a maybe, negative way. I don't know. Like, there are definitely some of them where I look at it and I think I definitely don't want that. And the leader, I tend to be a little bit more like, eh, I'll make it work. Even if maybe, it's one that I don't want. If it's I don't know. Right I I tend card. to I tend to look at the leaders first just because the resource it I don't know. Unless it I mean some of them when you're starting with more debt do seem like categorically worse yeah um but if they're just different resources i 
pay more attention to the leader usually for better or worse. Cool. Well, you've generally uh, succeeded against me in this game, so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> um, but I'm curious for you, what, what's been your favorite thing about the game so far? Um, so I think well, it changes every time we played it. I think I will say that I really I do like the theme. I really do. Um, again, it's not super obvious in the gameplay, but the way that it does show up is really cool. And just, just it's, you know, like there's so many different medieval European games and just to see kind of a different take on it. That's, you know, I love architects, but the building buildings thing is a little bit vanilla at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is kind of like, you know, if you were to actually try and do some kind of like Game of Thrones, the board game, without it actually being IP, it might look something like this. Yeah, um, very well. Which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in terms of the actual gameplay itself, I think I just I like the deck building. Um, mm. This we're not. I don't think we're going to do a whole game comparison section this week for obvious reasons. But I do want to say like. A lot of the things I like about this game are what makes Lost Ruins of Arnak one of my favorite games. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, when you when you build a well-curated deck and you get those combos and it pays off in the way you want it, it's so satisfying. And it yeah. really makes you excited for your next turn and just for activating all these upgrades and benefits and just chaining everything together. It's really cool. Um, yeah. And, and, and that one that, game that you mentioned earlier where you chained those two building cards together. Oh was, yeah. My my stone cutter my yeah. stone cutter extravaganza. That that's exactly what I'm talking about. Um yeah, I mean I think I think that's it. And also I uh this isn't like a favorite thing, but I just want to give it a little shout out. I haven't played um any other like modern Rondell game that I could think of. And just to see that um you know, you always think about these kinds of roll and move or you have a number and you move that many spaces and you think of very old fashioned games like um, Monopoly even. <laughs> yeah, um, or Trouble or something. Yeah, things right. like, and just to see it implemented in a actual great modern design, a sophisticated game is really cool. And again, it's not just relying on the luck of dice. You have your choice of the numbers from your hand. And in addition to that, if you don't like the numbers you have, you can pay extra to have some flexibility in your movement or one of the upgrades will give you that or some of the card benefits will give you that. So there's rules around the movement, but it gives you flexibility to make it strategic. And I always I always like that. And I think one thing that's especially genius about it is putting the movement on cards that are also serving other purposes because it creates a tension between oh, do I play the card for optimal movement or do mm-hmm. I play the card that is going to give me the like trade power or the building power that I need for the next couple turns? Interesting, because I would I would say that pretty much anytime I've had that debate, I always choose the card ability over the movement because again, like, oh, there is, I, flex- I, there is I flexibility do, with the movement. I, so I do two for the most part, but the mm-hmm. flexibility only moves in one direction. You can yes. extend your movement by by paying a coin, but there have been a few times where there was a spot I really wanted to get to before you, mm-hmm. and if I'd played the, a movement card that took me too far, I would yeah. have gone past that spot. So there have been a few times where that did 
end up factoring in more for me than the actual card ability. Yeah, and that's interesting because a couple things on that, and one of them, um, it's a little bit hard to describe without the visual of looking at the board, but one thing that's interesting is that like the way it kind of zigzags in and out between the outer and inner track yeah. still kind of also gives you movement flexibility yep. um, where you can like move a bunch of spaces, but it feels like you haven't <laughs> if you don't want to. Um, right. And then I would also be curious to see how that tension changes if you play this game with three or four people because yeah. we've only played it two, and i feel like maybe if you have more people competing for the same things mm -hmm. then the specificity of the movement might be a bit more um compelling yeah quite possibly yeah. for that competitive reason quite possibly mm -hmm. one last thing i wanted to highlight and just uh praise this game for is the way the resource system is set up. And I think about this in comparison to a game like Wingspan or a game like Everdell, where this game is similar to those games in that you, I mean, I think it's the bread and butter of any resource, resource management game where you've got four, maybe five different types of resources. Uh, what I think is really interesting about this game is that the resources that you're collecting lock you into a strategy more mm -hmm. so than a game like Everdell. Because in a game like Everdell, you could use the same wood or the same stone to build a multitude of different things. Whereas in this game, those ink pots can only be used to buy manuscripts. And the gold yeah. can only be used to place workers in the castle. And yeah. so you have to be much more deliberate in this game about what resources you're collecting and why, because they're not fungible. You can't no. use them for multiple. Unless, unless you get a very specific card that lets you sub them. But again, right. like that, you're not guaranteed to get that by any means. It probably won't come up. And even if you do, it's, it's going to be in your deck and it's not going to constantly be available. Right. So I would say, resource management game like this but it because of that detail it requires more forethought than the average resource collection game mm -hmm. um so what's something that you did not enjoy about this game something i didn't enjoy about this game i might have to think on that a minute do you have anything okay. that comes to mind off the top of your head Yes, it's kind of abstract, hmm. but I'm just going to try to describe it. Um, okay. I think so. So a little bit of context is like, I think we played this game three times before I actually decided that I liked it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I remember like we, we had a playthrough and midway through, I just flat out said to you, I don't I don't like this game. I remember, um, and you you were, part, you were you had that inner turmoil too because you're like it's a Garfo Garfo game like yeah like why don't I was mad, I was so disappointed because I just kept thinking why don't I like this game, and part of that was that there was a very important rule that we were doing wrong and that fundamentally changed the game so that's our bad that's on the game, but the other thing was I think that this was the first of these titles, Wayfarers of the South Tigris included, 
and I know people say that Paladins is more complex than Viscounts, but this was the first one that for me, it really felt like a challenge to wrap my head around everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I'm trying to say with that is that I think that there is just one thing too much going on in this game. It's not insurmountable, and it's definitely a reason that I keep wanting to come back to the game. And it's difficult to say I don't like it because I keep thinking about this game and how much I want to play it again because it still feels like there's way more to explore. Mm -hmm. And even though I had a much stronger positive reaction and excitement about Paladins after just one play, um, this one's the one that's on my mind. And I think part of that is because I'm still... There's still some uncertainty... And I feel like there's some depth to explore. And that's before even getting into the expansion. So I don't know. I feel like ideally I would cut maybe something out of this game. Hmm. Initially, I want to say maybe the castle. But no, I don't even think that. I don't even, yeah, I don't even know if that's right. But it's something I want to cut. It might just, I don't know, the collision or I don't know. Or... Maybe just like streamline the different card abilities. It just feels like there's something that could have just been tightened up a little bit that would make me like it um, so, a little so bit more. And then on the topic of expansions, I also feel like because I still feel that way about the base game. Remember what we did when we did Wayfarers? We were saying that, you know, I'm sure there will be an expansion, but I don't need one. Yes. Um, I kind of feel that way about this game. And we tried the... um the yeah we, we gates tried of the, gold the gates of gold expansion. yeah and yeah. it was good there was nothing wrong with it but i was just like it just felt like more stuff and i didn't personally feel like i needed it maybe with more plays i will be more grateful for it but the way that i felt that um raiders and architects were so enhanced by their expansions and those expansions really made those games i almost feel like this base game is enough i, I don't know maybe that. that's maybe that's just a reflection about my preferences in terms of you know maybe i've met like met the upper end of my um desired complexity for a game with this but i'm open to that changing over time Hmm. interesting does that help you think of what you want to yeah. say yeah i've got I've got one or two small things and I do want to emphasize that they're pretty small things because I enjoy this game a lot. I, Mm -hmm. one that comes to mind is the townsfolk get a little stale sometimes. And I don't mean the ones that you're adding to your hand. I mean, I feel like every time we've played this game, there've been a couple of townsfolk that just neither of us find that appealing to buy. But in the starting me- deck or in the no i mean in the piles on the board oh okay yes and and some that they're not appealing enough to buy for either of us given the strategies we're doing but the one time bonus that you can get and discard them is either too expensive or um you know not desirable enough to use i i find i often have limited money in this game and don't end up doing that and as a result of that, I feel like there's there have been times where those were not resetting. They 
many of them were not ideal for the 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 strategy we were implementing and i ended up feeling a little bit stuck especially if there were like one or two really good ones then someone else gets them and then you because to to a certain extent in this game you're at the mercy of the cards in your deck and if you miss out on a couple really good ones and then the next ones that come up they're just shuffled randomly it's luck of the draw you know that can be a pretty big separator early in the game yeah i i what you just said made me think of um i have another suggestion for something that i maybe would have left out of the game sure um the one-time abilities that you can pay for on cards uh-huh I maybe would have just left that out because you almost never use it. It's really like an act. You only use that when you're desperate. And I think it's designed that way because it is so expensive. And I maybe would have just left it out. It's just one last thing to think of. And it's not that good. You know, it's just little well, things like that. It, for me, I think I wouldn't have missed it. Maybe. If it wasn't there. So in defense of that, if you do end up going on a building spree, one of the last powers you can do is reducing the cost of that to one, no matter how expensive the cards face value is. So, I mean, if you'd end up doing that, maybe it's worth it if you're pulling in a lot of money anyway, but by the same token, you don't want to be using your trade action to get money all the time because you need the other resources way more. Yeah, I agree. And like, again, I, I appreciate that there's just so many different options for different play styles and strategies but yeah some of that and i we could talk about this with the expansions as well even with the expansions there's just some things that were added in i'm just thinking huh the game was already so complex and had so much going on did we really need this thing you know um yeah i because because what it does is i think it it contributes to sometimes this can be one of those games that i think really can cause some analysis paralysis. I think there's truth, just, I think there's ugh. truth to that. One addendum I would say though is I feel like it promotes a certain and I don't mean this in a negative way, stratification mm-hmm. of like game experiences where uh those expansions pretty big barrier to entry for folks that have not played this game before or only played it once but if you played it a lot i could see the benefit of adding a a few additional wrinkles when you've got the basic nuts and bolts of the games down pat yeah um i know that we really don't want to spend too much time doing comparisons between these games but just because i kind of brought it up i just want to get your thoughts on this um so according to Board Game Geek, what are your are, thoughts on this? Are you um, going to ask about the complexity rating? Do, do you think this is reasonable? Yeah. So I think we should save the complexity rating question for the trilogy episode. Okay. What if, I, what if I mention a game that's not in the trilogy? That's fair. Okay. Viscounts of the West Kingdom, right? 3.46. Yes. Wayfarers of the South Tigris. 3.77. Uh, I don't know. I think that's pretty <laughs> close. I, I, yeah. 
Yeah. I think they're pretty close. And honestly, I think I picked up on Wayfarers quicker. Likewise. That's what that's what confuses me. Um, yeah. And yeah, but huh. I just wanted to put, throw that out there. That's Who interesting. Forgot? And yeah. yeah, that's just base game again. Um, that's very interesting. So we've been floating around talking about the expansions. Mm-hmm. So let's just knock that out quickly. So I think it would be easier to start with Keeper of Keys. Um, I can yeah. cover that pretty briefly. This, I Sounds think, is good. the simpler of the two. Right. So the way I, I think about it is like this is one of those expansions that a good chunk of it is kind of a quality of life expansion. Yeah. So um, for purely just aesthetic upgrades, you get nicer player boards. So in the base game, you get kind of, I guess, a card stock, almost like laminated card stock, the same ones you get in Architects. Yeah. Um, they're fine. It's just, you know, for my brain where I sleeve every game and I'm paranoid for reasons unknown when, worst case, you just buy a new copy. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, it's a nightmare. And I much prefer the um, player boards that they gave in Paladins and Raiders and Wayfarers. So the new ones that they give you in this expansion are full cardboard, very nice. Um, same material as the the central board and all of that. Great. In addition to that, um, they add in some um, three new cards for your base deck that replace three of the old ones. Uh-huh. So um, I remember two of them off the top of my head. I remember it's the Journeyman and the Lender. And they do the exact same thing as the ones from the base game, but they just have an additional thing you can do instead. So the Lender had an ability that was when she drops off of your board, you can flip a deed or a debt. Now Ooh, you can flip yeah. her. Yeah. Now yeah. you can flip a deed She's or a debt. Yeah. So she can still do that. Or instead, she has another power that is um, related to a new mechanic in the expansion. I see. And the journeyman, it's a similar thing. They don't take away what they did. They just add another option. So it's fine. Again, it's just like a quality of life improvement. And then the other big thing that the Keeper of Keys adds is there are these treasure chests that you can unlock that you um, slide under your player board. And it basically gives you a permanent upgrade that will apply to whichever townsfolk is in that spot. So if you have um, a squire who has one noble symbol that can be used at the castle in spot three, and your treasure chest in spot three gives you an additional um, two noble symbols, then now instead of your squire being worth one, he's worth three while he's in that spot. So yeah. it's nice. Um, it's kind of like a, it's more of an engine building um, upgrade your board mechanic. Um, it kind of, of all the Garfield games, it reminds me most of the research base up, upgrades in Circadian's First Light, which we haven't talked about yet, but we will one day. Yeah. Um, and then the final but, thing is, yeah. and I don't quite understand how this works, but there is a way with this expansion that lets you draft an additional leader into mm-hmm. your deck so you have in, which again is going to up that asymmetry even more so instead of having one leader in your deck you can have multiple i think which is interesting I, I think it's similar to the outsiders deck in uh the gates of gold expansion where there's like three available of, three available at any given time and then 
you fulfill certain conditions and you're able to acquire yeah. one. Well, that would make sense as well with how you draft your leader at the beginning of the game where you have a choice of three. Yeah. 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 Um, All do things you want to cover of... gates of gold? Yes. I was just going to say everything in this game, rule of three. Yeah. Third in the trilogy, 30th episode, three of everything. <laughs> yep. Three of a kind. So uh, gates of gold adds a couple of components and the main ones that come to mind are the outsider deck of cards and the king's order cards and what the what the king's order cards do is they give you a way they they're just cards that you add to your personal deck but when they fall off you're able to acquire an outsider card for them and these outsider cards are a little bit similar to the Yarl cards in Raiders of the North Sea, where they're they're pretty powerful cards. But there's also a similarity here to the Adornment cards in um, Architects of the West Kingdom, where you know they give you some sort of a some sort of a condition that if you're able to meet it, you'll get bonus scoring at the end of the game. So they're basically, I mean, in some ways they're kind of like the bonus cards in that you get in a game like wingspan. And if you meet the requirements, you get certain number of points for it. Um, And then, I mean, you can also, I, I mean, that, that's honestly a, a, a big part of it. And then the other big part of it is you have a little play, a secondary player mat to arrange your tapestries on. And manuscripts they, or tapestries, manuscripts. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yes. To, to put your manuscripts on and to arrange them by color. And they give you slight bonuses depending on which sets you're able to acquire. If you didn't Based mention on it, color. I was, if you didn't mention the uh, manuscript board, I was going to, because well, I don't, I was think also going to say that, that much. I, like it is on, I didn't want to mention it in my worst yeah. thing about this game because it's expansion related, but it is the most useless thing. I wish it was just purely it, a cosmetic place to store them because, because the little it really benefits doesn't it you, add much. Yeah. Yeah. That's this is what I mean by that. like just little side things that you could just leave out and nobody would miss it. And it just make my brain a little bit more focused. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I, it's funny you had that instinct. Cause I had the same thing, like where I think this was of all the things they added in, this is one I could have done without. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think it's worth just saying as well, that both of these expansions will also give you just more stuff. So mm-hmm. more leaders, more townsfolk yes. cards, more manuscripts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and, add more variety and replay value on all the other components as well. Yes, exactly. Um, I think it's fair to say that the way that I would put it is that if you like Viscounts a lot and you were going to choose one of these to get, I think that if your priority was um, really just kind of like an upgrade for the game without making it more complex, I would say get Keeper of Keys. But if you mm-hmm. wanted to really make the game even more um, challenging and add in even more like complexity, then 
um, gates of gold. Yeah, that's yeah. that's right on the money. And maybe that that would be even if you wanted to do both, maybe that would be the correct order to integrate them in. Um, we didn't do that, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, so I, I yeah. it's it sounds like Keeper of the Keys is a more seamless integration. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, I think the same thing kind of happened in Architects where Age of Artisans was a much less intrusive expansion than Works of Wonder. Yeah. Right. Right. But I'm not going to talk more about Architects right now. Moving on. Yes. Um, so yes. does that bring so, us to final ratings? Yes. It, it does. And this is the one place where we're not going to say three. <laughs> I don't think that would be right. It would not. It would All not. Right. Um, do you want to go first or do you want me to? Um, I kind of want you to go first. Sure. I'll go first. Um, so my answer is not a three, but it is a multiple of three. I'm going to, oh, wow. I'm going to give, uh, Viscounts of the West Kingdom a nine. Wow. And you, you do realize that by your standards, that's a 10, right? Well, I mean, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm I'm leaving room for someday, maybe doing throwing a nine and a half out there. But yeah, for this I'm game get, or for a different I, game, for a different for a different game. I mean, okay. I yeah, but this one gets a nine for me. I just think the is this your first nine? I think it is my first nine. Uh, wow. The 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 balance of it. Like I know you talked about not being able to do everything at once and how that can be kind of frustrating i think that's a really fun part of the game because i oh I no like... no i like that that's why i like yeah. all of these games that wasn't that wasn't my critique my critique was that i think that there were just a little bit too many things to choose too from many menu. things sure yeah. that, that could be um but i yeah i i and i like the way that all the pieces fit together and just i mean i i already talked about it so i won't belabor the point but the fact that you, based on what resources you're selecting, you're like doubling down on your player strategy and it's not easy to pivot. No. It punishes you for not knowing what you're going to do. And it rewards you for being showing a lot of deliberation and forethought. I think that that's, I think that's a really interesting twist. And the fact that it's incorporating a, a variation on role and play to lay out such a complex like menagerie of game mechanics. I just, I had a, just a blast playing this. Yeah. Um, so I'm also going to give it a nine. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I was going back and forth a bit between an 8.5 and a nine, but I uh -huh. ultimately decided on the nine because the things that, and this is, again, this is coming after I, I flat out told you, I don't like this game in the middle of playing it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, they so, won you over. I'm so glad. I know. I know. Um, but it's just even the things that are still bothering me, I think they keep drawing me back to it, which is a yeah. good thing. I think it's just, it's the challenge that I feel like I still have not wrapped my head around everything, but I view that in a good way. And it's, it's not overwhelming. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not off-putting the way that some other games can be. It's um, not a, yeah. 
yeah it's not a, it's not a burr in your boot it's a spur that brings you back to the game yes and i i this is very difficult not to make comparisons right now um i, I will say that this fits up there among the the garfield royalty um the games i really love um all i will say right now is that it is not my favorite one that i've played it is not Mm -hmm. my least favorite one i've played i'm not just Mm -hmm. i'm not just talking about the west kingdom or even the medieval games in general i'm also thinking of um raiders of scythia circadian's first light so yeah and again like there there isn't there isn't now that i've changed my mind on this one there isn't a bad one in that batch um and so it's really close just like how i think about all these games but it's just it's it is a great fantastic entry and i think it was a great way to round out the west kingdom trilogy and i think that this game it it both it both shows uh a perfection and a re-implementation of some of the most successful mechanics of early games uh-huh. and also a willingness to try some very different things that I think were implemented into Wayfarers a little bit. Oh, and yeah. I, th- I think that in particular... The very similar to the three guilds. And the, um, the outsiders in the expansion are kind of like the space cards as well. Yep. Um, and I think that... Scholars of the South Tigris is going to make us think of Viscounts a lot with the, um, there is, I believe there is a Rondell mechanism as part of Scholars. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, and I cannot wait to be able to speak freely about how I feel about these three games side by side when we yeah. have that discussion. Well, I mean, people will have some idea just from the relative scores that we've given them at the time, but I would, I would caveat that, (laughs) but yeah, those may have shifted is, I will, I will say put very little stock in that because particularly when we recorded architects, we had only played Viscounts once and we had not yet played Paladins. That's true. And there's still some work we need to do, I think, with, particularly with implementing some of the expansions um, yes. to finalize the things that we will say in a few weeks. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah, but I'm, I'm so excited to do it. And yeah, I don't know. This game, it just makes me very excited. I it's, have such a strange relationship with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm really glad that... Uh, that the manuscripts of this game uh, converted you in the end. It wasn't the manuscripts. Honestly, the manuscripts are one of the most accessible <laughs> things. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, on that note, um, it's been a great time talking about this game. I hope that we were able to do justice to all of the different things going on. And mm-hmm. I would strongly encourage all of you out there if you haven't tried this game already to at least give it a try because i don't know any one other game that really feels the way this game feels if you can swing it though 
and you haven't played it before, I'd recommend, especially for a game like this, if you can at all possible, play it with someone who's played it before. Oh yeah, I wish. Yeah, the rules the rules were a little bit um difficult to access yeah. as well at the beginning. Um, but yeah, I believe in you all, and I believe that uh we're gonna have a great discussion when we talk about the West Kingdom. Yeah, and and if you've been listening to this podcast, you've gotten a whole slew of games like this, and you've been training for this, and you're ready. I can feel you're it. ready. Yeah, cool. Um, well, on that note, we're going to yeah. log off and in- send you all yeah. off to do your homework, play Viscounts, play Paladins, play Architects. And yeah. I, I guess um, it's time to set aside our quills and uh, yeah, finish finish off this chapter of 10th century medieval Europe. I don't know about you, but I'm about to go take over the castle. So peace out. <laughs> Sounds good. See you next week.